And Jesus, we do lift you up as the highest name, the, the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords. We thank you for who you are and how you determined to associate with us and do so much more than that and let us participate in your program. And uh, what a privilege. And I just pray that as we uh, look into your word today, we're encouraged by it, we're challenged, and that we uh, not only hear, but we act on uh, what you tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. Have It's good to see everybody. You guys singing loud. Good job. Thanks to the worship team. Thanks to Gregory. Isn't he great? Isn't he good to have him here? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, uh, serving in ministry with him is quite a privilege. He's, uh, he's one of the most loving people I've ever met in my entire life, if not the most loving, and uh, he's just got such a good heart, and he does just such a wonderful job with worship, but he's pastoring in so many different ways, and he does such a great job. We're very blessed to have him, and uh, all, all the things that he is helping out with and leading and teaming up together. We just, we have a great time and I consider him a good friend. It's good to have him. Another great friend around here is Pastor Bruce and uh, he got an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. with his son um, and just spend a special time out there uh, with Ray Comfort. And I'm sure he'll tell us about it next week, but uh, he, uh, texted, he texted us last night, a bunch of people on staff and just said he was exhausted. He didn't get into, back into his room until sometime after eight o'clock but uh, after a whole day going through D.C. and different events and different things and just said it was marvelous. So uh, grateful for the opportunity to, to step in his place here today. I'm Jim Gain. If you have never seen or met me, uh, I am the executive pastor here and I do groups and I've been helping out in the high school department for a while. I've been to church here for a while uh, here at Crosspoint, uh, actually since I was 16 years old, so a long time. And I didn't get a chance to shake Bob Silnicki's hand over here, but he was kind of giggling at me, a little, little wry smile and a head nod. And I think he smiles because he remembers me when I had hair. Um, <laughs> so he, we've known each other a long time, and a few of you have. And um, So <clears throat> been here a while. Been on, and this is the only church I've ever known. And it's 2016, and our church has been through a lot of, lot of generations, a lot of different kind of stages and uh, we're very excited about what the Lord's doing here. Um, the, the people in this church and the love and encouragement and the service and the determination to follow the Lord out of this place is, is in really good and growing. Uh, the, in, the intensity of trying to be people who are disciples that make disciples has uh, been a, 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 a big emphasis here for the last few years and I'm going to talk to you a little more about that today. If you want to open up to Matthew 28, and sort one text. Um, so some of you know, and some of you may not know, I have five sons. Um, they range in age currently from 17 to 25, and they're all in town, thankfully, and that's a blessing. And my wife has this determination in her in her soul, that if we're going to dinner or going to a movie, in which we like both, or going to lunch, that everyone needs to go. So that's seven people, and that's like, 
Somehow or another, that's a little bit of a letdown. Like, you know, Josh was in college in Arizona for a while. And if only six of us go, it's still good. It's just not quite as awesome as if seven of us go. Well, this is a particularly major undertaking. I used to say, especially when they were little, taking a trip out of our house is like taking a trip out of our house. Because <laughs> every time, every time was like, you know, just gathering everything and uh, just a big ordeal. And now it's more just about rallying the troops, if you know what I mean. So like, you know, uh, recently Tomoko was gifted with some gift certificates for Maggiano's, which is one of our favorite Italian restaurants. And, you know, we, we were taking everybody and it was going to be a great celebration. And, but we, we like to try and get reservations a little bit early and miss the dinner crowd. And so it worked out where we could do that. And so what I'll do in the house is I'll do kind of like a countdown. Okay, guys, we got six o'clock reservations. We got to leave at 5.40. It's 10 after. You got 30 minutes. I need, you know, I'll say this. I, I need butts and seats in half an hour, you know. And I'm trying to get them out the door on time. I like to be on time, especially for food. Uh, <laughs> so about, uh, about five, uh, 5.20, I'll give another reminder. 5.35, it's the five-minute countdown. We've been doing the five-minute countdown since they were toddlers. Come on, five minutes. We're going to be gone in five minutes. And, you know, a couple minutes after that, myself and a couple other people will be walking out the door. And the three of us will sit in the car. This doesn't happen every time. We'll sit in the car waiting. I'll be tapping my fingers on. The, I'm trying to, you know, tapping my fingers on the steering wheel. And 540 rolls around. I'm watching that clock. And I'm, you know, my jaw's starting to tighten up a little bit. I gave all the fair warnings, all that, right? And then about 544, 545, it's, it seems like I need to motivate a little further. So I'll get out of the car, go go into the entry of the house, and I'll scream, let's get going, and maybe good things happen or not. You've been there too, right? That sense of urgency when you're leaving for something. Uh, the airport, you know, you want to be there on time, so you arrange, you get there on time, and uh, that, that's an ordeal. Then you're there, and you're waiting, you're looking at the clock. Well, first you got to find your gate, right? Find your gate, and then you're looking at the clock, and then you're wondering what group you're in. You're like, quadruple checking your ticket as you wait there the hour and a half that you had to go to because of the TSA and all that. And, um, and then you listen for your, you know, it's just urgency. What about getting ready for a camping trip? You ever done that? <sighs> Nobody warned me for this. So if you ever think about camping, you know, let me just tell you this. You think getting ready is going to take about an hour and a half. It's like four hours, you know? I remember the first time we went to a really big camping trip kind of far, I started packing around six. I was done at like one in the morning, you know? And it was kind of crazy. But you've been there too, right? And you've left for dinner. And you've tried to rally people. In a different and certainly a much more eternally urgent sense, I think that's similar to how Jesus Christ built up to his leaving. Uh, you see in Matthew 4.19, he talks to the disciples when he calls them, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not real intense yet. In Matthew 9.37, he says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into his field. In John 14.12, he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I think the greater things means reaching more people in more places. 
And so he's, he's up in the ante. In John 17, he prays to God, but right in front of the disciples, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then as his time winds down to the very end, he comes to us via his disciples and he says, let's get going. When he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And over the years, I hear kind of common responses to this, and maybe one of these has been yours. Some, of those, some people come to this immediately because it gets preached this way all the time, which is a fair way to preach it. But a lot of people come to this passage and they say, that's a missionary call and I'm no missionary. Some people might say, you know, they offer explanations. I'm not called, I'm not trained, I'm not qualified to go make disciples. Which certainly is a posture that the disciples themselves could have taken. Because they were with Jesus, God, and for sure they easily could have said, well, uh, we're not Jesus Christ, we're not, we're not God sent in the flesh. How can we go do what he's been doing? And some people might respond and say, discipleship, isn't that the church's job? But here's the thing. When he said, go make disciples, there aren't disclaimers. There's not provisos. It's a, it's a command for us, for everybody. It's not a pastoral command. It's not a missions command. And so I'm hoping you can free your mind from those kind of common responses and listen to what Jesus really wants us to hear out of this passage. And the first thing that I think he wants us to know out of here that's very important, he says, you're authorized. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. There's no more supreme authority than that. He says, I'm the highest authority, you should obey that of course, but it's not just the fact that we should be in a, in a position to obey him. It's the idea that we're authorized. In about 2001, I think it was, the boys and I were talking about it uh, this week, Luke and Josh were eight and seven years old, and that summer, it uh, didn't look like we were going to be able to go out of town or do very much for vacation. We were just super busy and what have you. And so I thought it'd be fun to go tour workplaces of people that I knew, if they were kind of cool workplaces. And one, and at the time, we were super into, into hockey, and, and both of them were playing inline hockey, and we had a good friend that worked for um, uh, a wheel company, a hockey wheel company, and we thought it'd be fun uh, to go see how wheels are made, and uh, he got us in. His name was Dave, and uh, when we went in the door of the offices, we didn't go straight to the factory. We went to the president's office, the big honcho, the head guy, the guy with all the authority. And he asked us a really cool question. So why would you guys want to come through? And we told him, and he was real excited. And he said, man, I'd love for you to go through the factory. Dave's going to take you through. You guys can go wherever you want, do whatever you want, ask questions, handle things. I mean, they can't work big machinery and stuff, but they were reaching into vats full of wheels, different colors and stuff. And we had a blast. And guys were showing us what to do and stuff. And it was so fun to be led through that factory 
authorized. Could you imagine if we tried to go in on our own? Would have been a little awkward. It was a little awkward to begin with. Sometimes the workers would kind of look like, what's going on? But we didn't have to worry about it because we were fully authorized by the president of the company. And so in a similar way, Jesus tells us that he is the supreme authority in this world. And he says, hey, time's urgent. I'm leaving. You're staying. Let's get going. Let's make disciples. You're authorized. Jesus has given you permission. And I think, you know, and I hear this, and it's, it's one of my struggles, and I don't know how to combat it except for to, to talk about it and just try and continually encourage people and stuff. There's so much insecurity, it seems like, among people about what they're able to do as Christian people, what they are permitted to do or what they are authorized to do. And Jesus Christ comes to us right here and says, you, exactly where you're at, exactly who you are, exactly your experience, exactly your successes and your failures, exactly your hurts and hangups, he says to you, go make disciples. You're authorized. The next thing he says is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what I'm seeing in that is is that making disciples is the lifestyle Christ calls you to. It's a lifestyle. It's not an event. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of our church that ministry happens seven days a week through this place in all different ways. In some ways, we don't even know about as, you know, up in the office. In fact, many, many ways. And more and more, it's a lifestyle. But in some churches, and I talked to somebody here recently, who this is their church experience. They have the feeling that at their church, all that happens is people do their, you know, they get their Christian duty out of the way uh, when they attend church on Sunday morning for an hour or two. And they have an event-centered discipleship. And maybe they go to church an hour or two. Uh, Maybe they go on a mission trip. Maybe they do some community service, and in those pockets of time, they are disciples, but when they're outside of those pockets, maybe they aren't. But Jesus here is telling us that discipleship is a lifestyle. I want you to think about something, and maybe even, I might even call on somebody to answer me with, which Bible character do you think fulfilled this command? Who comes first to your mind? Paul, right? The guy who went on three missionary journeys, started churches all over the place, and somehow or another, we think that that's the call on our lives. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Peter fulfilled the call to make disciples? Where did he go? Jerusalem and a small part of Asia. That's it. It's the only place he went. He didn't go all over the world. He didn't start numerous churches. We don't know necessarily how many converts he had. What about James? Jerusalem. They say maybe into Ephesus. What about Jesus? Why did you say Jesus? He focused his attention on 12 people. At the end of his life, at the very most he had at the end of his life, 33 years of living, Acts tells us that he had 120 followers. He ministered in a region about 100 miles, roughly, north to south, and 50 miles east to west. 
And that's it. Why doesn't Jesus come to our mind? Because we make this command so much about missions. Remember when I told you that? And it gets preached that way, and it's okay, it's good, it's accurate, it's right, but it's not the full spectrum of the command. Not everyone is Paul, not everyone's Peter, John, or Jesus. You're you, and where in the world are you supposed to make disciples? In your world. Not everyone's called to be a preacher. Not everyone's called to be a pastor or a missionary, but you're called by Jesus Christ right here. Go and make disciples. In one of my commentaries by Warren Wiersbe, he explains the command like this. The Greek word translated go is actually not a command, but a present participle, going. The only command in the Great Commission is to make disciples. In other words, Jesus said, while you are going, make disciples. No matter where you are, we should be witnesses for Jesus Christ seeking to make disciples. And so the lifestyle characteristic of a Christ follower is making disciples. And we elevate that to the level of Paul and we get so intimidated by that that we excuse ourselves from the effort. And that's not what the command even means. It means have a lifestyle of making disciples. Be oriented to people growing in Christ. That's like Paul prayed in Colossians 1.28. He was praying for that church and he said, hey, that you would grow to be fully mature in Christ. And so when we walk around and interact with our family and friends and people at church, our mindset can be similar to that, where we're communicating Christ and helping people connect with him, grow in him. It's our lifestyle. It's not an event. It's not super ministry like Paul was involved in. So how do you do that? He goes on, and I think it's going to be really important for us to be saturated in Christ. I mean, if you're going to be a disciple, you should have the marks of a disciple. You should look like Christ. You should speak like Christ. And, and to achieve that, you want to be saturated in Christ. In 19, the, the next part says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I know this is the ordinance of believer's baptism. I know that. And it's super important. I want you to see in there, too, by the way, that baptism is all of our job. Now, in our current American climate, the church baptizes. But when you know a convert who isn't baptized, you can help them get into the, the waters of baptism with your love and encouragement and your prayers. And you bring them to us and we'll baptize them. It can't just be the four of our jobs here uh, to get people baptized. And certainly that's part of what it says. But I recently learned a Greek definition for baptize, baptism besides immersion or more in addition to immersion, or to, to bury, which encourages me in a different way. And I, I want you to hear this, and I think it'll make sense to you. To baptize also meant in the Greek to submerge in order to saturate or die, like a fabric. So you take a fabric that's in one condition, you saturate it in a dye, and it comes out in another condition. Remember Easter? Dying Easter eggs, they still die Easter eggs, or do kids get little laser beam things? 
it's kind of fun, right? And I remember as a kid being real excited about it and, and getting my Easter egg and super anxious to dye the eggs. My favorite, favorite color is blue and I, I wanted to dye the blue eggs. And I was notorious in my mom's experience, and she'll probably back me up on this, for taking the egg out early. It was instructions, you know, leave it in there for like five minutes or whatever it is. And my egg never turned out the vibrant blue that was on the picture of the box. You know, the pause blocks. It was never that vibrant. And I just didn't let it saturate enough. And I think part of what we do together as disciples is intentionally work to saturate our lives, not just individually, but together in the life of Christ we want to take on his character, but we want to share that so it gets off on others. And that's why we seek to build each other up here at Crosspoint in these relational ways, whether it's church services, Bible study, groups, serving, um, encouraging one another to spend time in word and prayer. And it's why Christ calls us to be disciples who makes disciples. Just that lifestyle is infectious. And when it's in you, it gets off on other people. And when you're intentional about it, all the more. And we need to be saturated in the life of Christ if we're going to live out that life. Because if discipleship is a lifestyle, the lifestyle we are reflecting is the Christ life. And I think this idea of being saturated in Christ bears itself out as Jesus continues in the next verse. In verse 20. Jesus commands, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We're supposed to teach everything, which means we're supposed to learn everything that Jesus Christ commanded. The lifestyle of a disciple, then, is a lifelong process. I've been at this a little while now. It's funny, when I speak to the high school kids and I tell them that I've been saved for 36 years, they're like, you know, that's over twice my age, man. <laughs> They're like freaking out. Um, but did you catch what he said here? That we aren't supposed to just teach people that they need to cross the line of faith. That's important. But he doesn't tell us here to make converts. He tells us here to make disciples. People who will go on to live that lifestyle of faith, who will share it with others. We're to teach everything he commanded. So I looked online. What did he command? It was easy to find. What are the commands of Christ? Found some trusted websites. 49 different commands of Jesus Christ. You probably know some. I want to share some. The very first thing, and it's interesting that this is the very first command in the New Testament out of Jesus' mouth, is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I don't know if it's there on purpose for this reason, but it's kind of why I think it's there. I think what, if there's an order to this, and I believe there's an order, it's because Jesus is establishing that the most important thing for us is to know Jesus Christ. It's to know that God loves you. It's to know that your sin separates from you from God. There's, there's a problem there, and that's why he says repent. Hey, turn from that. Turn from doing things your own way, because God does love you. Turn to Jesus who takes care of, who forgives your sin. And believe that what he did is thorough enough, it's complete enough for you to believe in and be forgiven and have a home in heaven. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. First thing he said, he tells us to follow me. Love and pray for your enemies. Treat others how you want to be treated. Forgive 70 times 7. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And those are just a handful of the 49 commands, right? And I've been at this, like I said, almost 36, or over 36 years now. And I don't live out even those few perfectly in my life. I've grown in some of these areas. I, you know, I have a long way to go. And I'm in process. And the people, everybody around us is in process one way or another. If they're lost, they need Jesus. They need to, you know, we do the table talk here. They're in the dead chair. We interact with them and we try and get them at the table. And then there are the infants and uh, children and young adults and then parents. We're all part of that process. And we're, we're pouring into it and we're being poured into. And this call in our lives is great. It's intimidating to know that we are here to live like Christ, to show others Christ, to teach Christ and all he has commanded. It's kind of intimidating. It's a big deal. We know that. We know it's a big deal. We're so frail and we're so unworthy, we're so human, and still a disciple has nothing to be afraid of. And that's how Jesus closes down this command. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The one with all the authority, the one with all the power, the, all, the one with all permission for anything to happen to you is with you. He does not just call you, he empowers you. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Because it makes sense to me that if I trust the promise from verse 20, I will act on it and obey. That knowing that I'm authorized and that I have nothing to fear because that supreme authority is with me, provides me the confidence I need. My confidence doesn't come from me. It comes from him. Just like when Luke and Josh and I went through the will factory, the confidence wasn't in me. The confidence was in the president. But time is urgent. We're so blessed to have so many here who lead groups who serve in ministry and give and encourage cross points, a growing church where discipleship is becoming, genuine discipleship is just becoming the heartbeat of our ministry. And Jesus is gone physically. And his plan to reach this world are his followers, his disciples who make disciples. And Jesus comes to this verse uh, via Matthew 28 here, and he's saying to us, let's get going. So are you ready to go? I'm sure you are, right? So I want to get a little bit practical. If you have your sermon sheet with you and a pen, it'd be good to pull that out right now. Everybody, that's not enough rustling of paper. A faith life is a disciple-making life, and maybe, maybe you feel intimidated, or maybe you feel stuck. You know, my wife and I were talking here recently about the fact that as the kids have grown older, we have less contact with people who do not go to church. Our kind of mission field has been uh, being in the community through sports, and it, it's been great. 
but that season of our life is coming to an end. And so I'm having to go through this same process that I'm taking you through here. So maybe you feel stuck or maybe you feel like there's time for, it's time for something new, a new season. Maybe, hopefully not, but maybe you have felt useless or unqualified. I hope Matthew 28 encourages you in that regard if that's been true. But I want you to write something at the top of your page. And it's a prayer, but it's only three words. Just three, and they are these. What next, Lord? What next? You're not Paul, you're not Jesus, you're not James or John, you're not Bruce, you're not Jim. You're not the you you were 15 or 20 or 10 or five years ago. What next? What can I do to be in a disciple-making lifestyle? Maybe you need to disciple your kids into disciples who will make disciples. Not leaving it to the place where they get across the line of faith and you think you're done. Or you get them across the line of faith and you think the church's job is to disciple them. Will you disciple your kids? Maybe you've been thinking about getting into a one-on-one discipleship relationship where you can learn how to very deliberately be not only poured into but pour into others. We have those opportunities here. What's next for you might be a more serious witness to your family, your neighbors, your friends, your workmates. Some people in here, the greatest capacity you have at this life stage you're in is to be an encouragement to others. I'm so grateful for the people in my life that are uh, up in years a little bit who when I see them or they see me, just encourage me. I mean, it's one of the hugest blessings of showing up on a Sunday morning. And I feel, I feel emboldened in my faith when somebody in the life stage where I'm heading is in love with Jesus. It's just a huge encouragement. Maybe you need to be a prayer warrior for Cross Point. Maybe for your group or missions, just a prayer warrior. And we're thankful for people who are doing that already. Maybe it's time for you to build into the ministry of your church by doing any number of things that we have here for you to participate in. Leading a small group. I really feel like people get that put on their heart and they push it aside because they're not Paul. Well, you're not Paul. Maybe you push it aside because you're not Jim, you're not me, you're not Bruce. But what's next, Lord? Helping in kids' ministry. Kids ministry, man, what a great place, those formative years. What a great place to invest your time, energy, and effort, and more importantly, your love. Serving in areas of need that we have here currently, like the Welcome Center and parking and ushers and greeters, there's just a constant need in those areas. Um, Along that line, Gregory handed me this flyer before I got up here. It says, calling all (laughs) guest service team volunteers. There is a meeting on Wednesday at six o'clock over in the gym in room 103, which is right next to the gym entrance. And uh, we'd love to see you over there. What's, What's next? And when I ask that question, here's what I think. I think before I ask that question, the spirit of God has been working in your life, trying to get you to think about what's next even before it was asked of you. I think the real question 
isn't just what's next, but what will you do? So write that one down. Instead, don't write the question, though. Maybe write the response. I will. And I would encourage you to write no more than three things. I will. What will you do? If the Lord's calling you to work in kids' ministry, to serve with hospitality, to lead, what will you do and by when? It's pointless if you don't put a by when on there. Maybe you've fallen away from doing daily devotions. Maybe that's just a really good start for you. I will begin daily devotions by, what's tomorrow? The 6th. We'll give you today off. You're in church. By June 6th, I will talk to Jim about one-on-one discipleship by June 9th. I will go to that meeting for hospitality on the 8th. I will talk to my group leader about how I can apprentice to be a group leader in the future. What will you do? Write three things down, no more than three. I will. And this list is for you. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in. However, if you can use pastoral assistance, if there's something we can do to help you out on your I will, write that down on a connection card. I'd like to talk with a pastor about my next steps, whatever that might be. And then I want to just invite you to do one more thing. Share your list with somebody you trust. Don't just keep it between you and God. Share it with your spouse, a trusted friend, one of the pastors, whoever, whoever you feel like you would best be served by sharing your list with. But share your list. What will you do? Now, I want you to imagine. I can't exactly tell. I'll probably be a little pastoral here, but there's probably at least 250 people in here right now. What if... All 250 of us chose just one thing that would make a legitimate difference in the discipleship energy and outcome of what happens at Crosspoint. What if everybody just did one thing off the charts? Ministry like we wouldn't believe. Unbelievably awesome stuff. And so I want to pray. Pray that God does a wonderful work in and through each and every one of us. A work where we live that lifestyle of discipleship and we get going. Jesus, thank you for uh, just an amazing invitation. I, I just marvel that you want us to participate in ministry. And it's intimidating and it's It's lofty and it's big and we know all that and we're frail and so human and weak and broken and and unworthy and yet you still call us. Lord, what's next for each individual here and for us as a church, Lord, just draw us into greater and greater ministry, reaching more people, helping more people be close to you having an eye on the future, understanding that the difference we make now has a huge, huge impact on the years to come. For those of us that might be insecure or feel so unworthy that we can't, you know, we're kind of frozen, we're paralyzed, 
I just pray that the promises that you are authorized and that you're always with us would make the greatest difference. And we thank you and praise you for the prospect of doing great things in your name, even greater than what you're doing here now. We thank you for those. We pray now as we give, we give to ministry. We give to the discipleship ministry that takes place in this church on this five acres around this community and, and praise you, Lord, in such a wonderful way around the world. We thank you for that. So bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.